I'm going to begin with a short overview of my own life. Uh, tonight we're talking about vocations, religious, specifically religious vocations. Marriage is a potential religious vocation. Not everyone who does marriage is doing it for a religious reason, or not everyone who embarks on marriage does it for uh, Christian reasons. However, uh, you usually only do a religious vocation for religious reasons. Um, but it's, very, it's a very particular thing, and it's a very strange thing, and it's a very weird thing. I don't know if that's your experience. It's a very radical thing. Um, in my own life, I didn't know many people who were priests, nor trying to be priests. And so that's kind of when you start to sense the presence of God leading you whenever you want to do something, and you've never actually met anyone who has done that. Um, and I embarked on I embarked on my own journey. Uh, whenever it was kind of in the midst of cr the Christian pursuit in general, following Christ, it wasn't specifically like I was um, just trying to look for a vocation. I was trying to follow Christ, and this is what it looked like. Uh, I was trying to follow Christ on a week-to-week, month-to-month, year-to-year basis, and this became a large topic of conversation that I started to investigate, and that was specifically when I was in college. Uh, in high school, I didn't, I had exposure to both the Catholic world and the non-Catholic world, and then also the secular world, uh, and so I was kind of navigating all of those things, and so in college, uh, I kind of lost track of my Catholic world and started to invest in my non-Catholic world, Christian friends, and then also the secular world. And then eventually I kind of bailed on both of them and dove into my uh, Catholic world and started to pursue uh, the spiritual life, the intellectual life, the history of the church, why the church does what it does, why it teaches what it teaches, and like wrestling with these things and wrestling with my own relationships and so forth. But that's, that's kind of a, taking a step back, my vocation uh, was something that I uh, am still doing. I have to wake up every day and continue to choose this, similar to a marriage, maybe you've heard that before. Uh, marriage isn't just something that comes very easily every single day, it's something that you have to wake up and choose. Uh, religious life and priesthood is the same thing uh, we wake up and we choose this life, we say yes. Those of you who are familiar with the fiat, the fiat is a yes. We have to have a, a daily fiat. Uh, even when we don't want to, it's like, all right, like fiat, right? We're going we're gonna to do today, we're going to try to do today, and we're going to uh, do it with Christ. Um, but my own vocation, like I said, it came out of a desire to follow Christ, and an openness to where that would lead me. I didn't really care where it would lead me, but like I wanted to follow Christ and I didn't know what that looked like. And so I started to pray, I started to read, I started to talk with other people. Come to find out this is what discernment is. When you pray, when you read, when you talk to other people, when you get advice and you start to bounce ideas off of, of one another, uh, that's what discernment is. And so I found myself discerning priesthood which again, I've never met anyone who is a priest. I don't, know, um, I don't know what it looks like to become a priest, and I don't even know the day-to-day -day of a priest. But for me, I want to follow Christ, and this is an intriguing way to do that. And so I started to uh, investigate that and just check it out with an open heart, 
of saying, all right, well, like, if this isn't for me, that's fine. I'm going to do something else, continuing to follow Christ. Like, that's my goal, is to continue to follow Christ and continue to lead where the Spirit is leading me. And that ended up being seminary. That, and then when I was in seminary, it was like you turn up the volume of, um, of what I call formation. So, like, so those of you who live in community with other Christians or Catholics, it's like there's an intentionality there. There's, like, you check in. You make sure that you're doing things well. You're trying to keep each other accountable. Uh, seminary for me and probably religious life for sister was, is that kind of thing where you're trying to intentionally grow in your relationship with Christ. Uh, ultimately, parishes should be places of formation. The Catholic Center here is a place of formation where we grow in our prayer, in our study, in our relationships, uh, and trying to grow in our relationship towards Christ. So for me, I started to embark on that. I liked it. Uh, I really liked it. I found myself becoming more free. I found myself really enjoying the things that I was doing, uh, serving people uh, in a radical way, uh, entering into the prayer life, learning about the church and uh, entering into the life of the church, uh, daily mass and, and the seasons, and then also the history, um, being close to what the bishops and the popes are saying and have said over the years, uh, kind of entering into, that's why it's a very religious life. Um, but um, yeah, and so as I got into seminary, this for me, it was a seven year process, six, seven years with an open heart. I stayed with an open heart of saying, all right, well, like, I'm going to continue to do these years, and I'm going to leave if I feel like I'm going to leave if I need to, and that never came. I continued to um, pursue it. I continued to want to pursue the life, and even when I got ordained a priest, again, with an open heart, uh, I have to continue to say yes, but there hasn't been a day that I haven't wanted to say yes. There's been days where it's been hard to say yes, but there hasn't been a day where I haven't wanted to say yes. Um, and so the days continue, and I'm continuing continuing to do my own formation in my own walk with Christ and um, in my own pursuit of him and life in the spirit. Uh, but that's essentially my own story, is that it went from high school to college and then to seminary, entering into a very religious atmosphere. Um, and then coming out of seminary into the parish world, and then now all of a sudden I have to lead other people towards Christ. And so I'm using my own experience. I'm using what I've learned with the church and then having that uh, be an extension or offered in walking with other people who are also following Christ. Uh, and then I get to see other people uh, start to experience this kind of freedom and start to uh, find their own selves, their truest selves, and have that blossom within them. Something that I've experienced, and now I see other people doing it, I get to play a part in that. Uh, it's a very profound life. It's a very profound life. But I think that's, that's all I want to say, and I'll pass it to Sister, and she can take it from here. We'll do questions later. Well, my name is Sister Winchy, and usually I'm at the Catholic Center in the morning. So, my vocation story. I, we have five minutes, so I'm going to leave some cliffhangers, and you can ask me later, okay? Um, I will begin backward. So, it was around the time where you are, senior year. 
I will call that was the time where God knocked me off my high horse. Okay, I was, uh, I wanted to apply to medical school. And so that year, uh, I was a good student in overall. And so that year I was um, not accepted, okay? So it, it forces me to say, okay, what am I gonna do? Because for, for all my life, I had this goal set. I'm gonna study, I wanna go to medical school, I wanna go to medical school. So even early on, right, I had this thought, this ner uh, nudging inside, what about religious life? But then I said, no, I gotta focus, I gotta go <laughs> study, I gotta go to medical school. So when I got knocked off this high horse, I said, what am I to do? So I didn't know what to do. The only thing I remember that I felt very close to God was that I went on a high school retreat that my sister signed me up and packed my bag and dropped me off at the retreat. So I said, well, that's a good spot. I'm gonna go on a retreat. <laughs> so I've never done a five-day silent retreat. But I said, I need to talk to God, and so I did, I signed up. So what happened there was that I met a Jesuit. <laughs> so in this conversation, I share with the Jesuit that, and he was coming from France. So the good thing was I said, oh good, he doesn't know my family, he doesn't really know me. So I'm just gonna unload this feeling that God might be calling me about religious life. And he'll look at me and say, okay, you're not religious life material, go home and be married. You know, and I thought that would be the end of it and that'd be great. So <clears throat> I asked to speak to him and, and then I said, okay, I don't know what this feeling, but it's been bothering me for many years about religious life, so there, I said it. And he's like, um, he said, well, people your age normally don't ask about it, and because you ask about it, then we need to talk more. I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> so one thing he said to me that was very helpful, and I actually, that began allow me to look at my life, he said, and what St. Ignatius, the founder of um, the Jesuit and the patron saint of all retreat house and spiritual directors and, um, and discernment, right? So he gave me this tip. He said, whatever God wants you to do, he will let you know. And he gives you a hint in your life journey. So look at your life. I'm like, okay. So we begin with the question that, okay, why did you want to go to medical school? I said, why well, want to help people? And he said, okay, is that the only occupation, profession that help people? I said, no, <laughs> right? And so I said to him, well, I wanted to be an engineer, I wanted to become a teacher and a medical doctor. Those were the three. I just thought, why not go for medical? So he said, well, yeah. So made me think and say, well, teaching also helped people make a difference in their lives of many. So I'm like, okay. So it made me change my focus. And so, so in examining my life, I asked, where did I get this thought of religious life? So unlike father, I actually grew uh, up 
knowing religious. So one hint for me was my name Chi, Win Chi. All my sister and I are named Chi. And so my mom would explain to us, we are named Chi because my mom has a great aunt, a poor Claire, and her name is Kim Chi. And so my mom named all the girls Chi. And then my mom told us that her goal was that we grow up to be good Catholic girls. Well, the poor Claire nuns were in the monastery praying for all five to enter religious life. Okay. So, but then I have heard this. So I, it, it kind of sat in the back of my mind. And then another hint for me was when I received first communion at eight-year-old, eight I just remembered coming up, receiving communion, and going back to the pew, right? The sister who taught me told us that we have to pray when we come back to the pew. So I, I was kneeling and praying, and I just felt really, really close to Jesus. And I said to myself, I wish I had this feeling all the time. But that was the end of it. That was eight-year-old and never thought much about it, right? But these thoughts kind of follow me. So when I went into high, uh, junior high, we call it junior high back then, in high school, I, people started dating. My best cousin was my same age. And she began to date. And she's like, I'll set you up. I'm like, no, thank you. I got to study. <laughs> so that's sort of like my excuse for everything. Um, but, but deep down, I actually asked myself, why well, really want to date? What if God wants to call me? I have to be free. Like, what? Just, just what if God might call me? So that was what I was saying internally. I often didn't share it with people because my oldest sister was very, I would say, pious, very religious. So then I have that kind of image. And I grew up with many sisters serving around. And so I have an image of sister praying all the time, um, going to church all the time. And that's we do, right? I don't get me wrong. But at that point, I just say, I'm not made for that. I, I like to have fun. <laughs> so um, I, I didn't think it was for me. And so many things happen. But the bottom line is, in the end, the question for me is, where do I find most joy, deep joy? And, and when I looked up my life, was a time where I um, help out a retreat, doing service projects, you know, um, helping the church teach catechism. Not that I'm saying anybody who teach catechism <laughs> are called, but those are the things that brought me joy, right? And so it, um, and when I hear, I remember one time I went to mass with my sister who's only like uh, a year and a half older and I heard the song, The Summon, at communion, right? Will you go, right? I know I can't sing for you, but will you go if I were to call your name, right, to places? And that just spoke so joyfully and deeply with me that I was so filled at, uh, after communion that I remember after church, I turned to my sister and said, don't you just love that song? That was so beautiful. And she's like, 
what song? <laughs> right. Um, she ended up marrying her high school sweetheart, and I ended up in the convent. <laughs> but that was for me to follow Jesus in a way that allows me to go to places, um, to leave behind and never look back. And you know, that song just really spoke to me. And so that's how I ended in the convent. Because, uh, but it took me seven years, even before entering the convent, the discernment for me was long because I was stubborn, I was sick. And because I was like Jonah, running from God for a long time until I got tired and God said, stop, I need to talk to you, okay? And um, so that's the cliffhanger. So <laughs> I'll leave you with that and any other question you might have, okay? Sister, could you walk us through a day in the life of Sister Winchy? <laughs> um, what does a life um, at the convent look like? For us handmaids of the Sacred Heart, Father talk about the fiat, right? Mary's fiat. Um, we are handmaids, so um, for us in particular, I begin the day, at least each place I'm at. There's structurally, I can kind of tailor so that it fit my ministry and everything. So for here in Athens, I wake up and, um, and I begin with uh, meditation, um, an hour of um, meditation, gospel reflection. Usually I do the daily reading. Um, and then I say prayer in community with my other two sisters here and then we're off to ministry. So when I return, um, I will make an hour adoration. Because uh, for us Henry, that's unique. We are very centered on the Eucharist. And so in our adoration, I have that privilege. And it's also meant for public worship. So our little convent in the, um, out at Oasis, uh, Exposition so that other people in the area can come to um, to worship. So we make sure that people know our time and that they can enter. Before COVID, they can enter the little chapel. Now I have the blessed sacrament ex in a way that if I expose, the sisters can be on one side and the people can be in the backyard and make adoration also. And then um, we always have mass together. And that's usually after uh, dinner and before uh, we before mass we have evening prayer and then before I go to bed then I have um, um, examine of consciousness um, at the end of the day so and then ministry here in the morning and uh, I um, help Oasis tutoring the other ministry out of at Oasis We have any anyone want to ask any questions for sister or myself? Day in the life. Of Father Ryan. Day in the life. So, as a, as a priest, similar, we do uh, uh, we take a promise of prayer. We do the liturgy of the hours, which is uh, five times a day. We do three psalms, and 
that hasn't always been the easiest for me, as you can tell just by my own communication. She's way more organized than I am. I'm not organized. And so I, I always have to be very disciplined uh, in trying to do that very well. Uh, that's uh, somewhat hard for me, but it's very, it's very good. Uh, it's, it's being immersed in the life of prayer. So the Liturgy of the Hours, again, is it's three psalms five times a day. But it's also the same psalms, uh, like the entire church global prays these. And so it's entering into this global prayer for the day. Uh, that everybody around the globe in different languages is all praying those same specific psalms. So it's pretty cool. Um, but uh, fortunately here at UGA is that I kind of work night shift, which is nice. So I start my day a little later than I would in a parish. And um, I think up until the first half of my day, I'm either working one-on-one -on -one with folks um, or just uh, relational, what I call relational ministry, which is getting to know people, walking around, hanging out with people. It's very nice. Uh, it's a preferred way of ministry. And then in the evenings, again, we have, um, we have I have confessions and mass and, and evening events. But the first half of the day is usually meeting with one-on-one -on -one with people. And uh, that's very special uh, because it's, it's, what it's I, probably one of my favorite things because uh, you get to really dive in with folks and to see uh, God at work in their lives. Um, and then I live with Father Fred, so we have community life. Uh, uh, it's probably very different than sisters. Sisters is probably more, um, it's probably, probably more, there's probably more time in your community life. Father Fred and I, we cross paths and we, we connect very well but only for like a few minutes throughout the day. So we're always having these weird, like uh, getting onto the same page uh, moments throughout the day. And then usually in the evening, we'll either have a drink together or something, uh, which is probably a little, I don't know if that's different than your community life. <laughs> uh, we do, and he holds me accountable with stuff. So we have that fraternity aspect of, of priesthood. And um, he's always encouraging me to do better and to be better. Uh, which I'm very thankful for, and um, yeah, I think that's about it for for a day in the life. Every day here, fortunately, is there's a there's a there's a, a variety in our week schedule, um, but day to day it's it's very similar. And so for me, I'm thankful for that for some stability. Whereas in a parish, it's a little different because you'd have kind of more uh, emergency calls that kind of interrupt. The system, the system of the day, or the schedule of the day, and funerals are uh, kind of something that, in sacra other sacraments, they kind of you wrap your day around those. Whereas here, I've been wrapping my day around um, relational ministry and one-on-one -on -one with folks. Are there any saints that have helped us in our discernment? that have further cemented our decision. I had, I read, uh, yeah, I read St. Augustine's Confessions early on, and that, I, I don't understand how I read that book because it's pretty dense, but at some point I read it and I really appreciated it because it was a conversion, it's just one conversion story. It's a conversion story of someone who went from uh, kind of living a crazy life to someone who was head over heels for the spirit and uh, just watching that unfold 
in, a bio, in an autobiography that was now, I mean, 1,700 years old. Uh, it's pretty, pretty cool. Pretty cool. So I think I, I read that one early on. In the Life of Dorothy Day. Uh, Dorothy Day inspired me early on as well. She's not a saint, but she's, I guess, a servant of God. She was in Chicago and then New York, and she lived a radical life uh, of charity, radical life of, of she, opened basic, she opened her home to the homeless. She opened her home uh, and then created like a commune for people to live, and, and she basically just prayed through that experience. And so she really, she really encouraged me early on. And then um, I think Oscar Romero as well, kind of in my own formation of seeing somebody, uh, he was a bishop in, in El Salvador who was martyred, killed, uh, seeing somebody uh, who stood up for the poor and uh, kind of knew what he was getting himself into, but still made that decision anyway of continuing to stand up for the poor against threats of power. Um, and that was uh, an influence for me, yeah. I guess for me, growing up was St. Therese of Lisieux, the little flower. Um, my mom would always say, okay, pick up something and offer it for a soul in purgatory. I, so I heard that, and, um, and her relationship with Jesus uh, I also love um, Teresa of Avila, right? The big <laughs> Teresa. Uh, I just love the way her sense of humor in prayer, her connection with um, Jesus in a way that she can commune and have fun, you know? Um, the stories that I read, she's very happy and joyful um, in her uh, conversation with Jesus. Um, during my discernment, then St. Ignatius of Loyola became very uh, uh, prominent. I just love his logic, his, um, his way of thinking, and, um, and his, his life, right? His life, um, if you get a chance, he, he, he wanted to fight for the hand of a princess. Uh, he wanted it to be a knight, but then when he encountered and met uh, Jesus, then he gave up everything and he turned everything toward uh, being, serving the eternal king. That's how he phrased it. Um, has, has a sister, has a handmaid, then of course the founders of uh, the congregation. I love her love of the Eucharist. Um, I remember when I was discerning um, how I came to find the handmaid. I did a Google search. Okay. Um, because I love uh, Ignatian spirituality coming from uh, 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 the Jesuit who I met on that retreat. So I type in Google Ignatian spirituality, women religious. And so of course like 10 million came up. But, um, but what struck me to the handmaid was the Blessed Sacrament. Like I was reading through many pages and also the sacrament and the life center around um, the values and uh, uh, whatever the Eucharist speaks to us, right? Um, and that adoration is part of our life. So that was big. And, and as I served more in El Salvador and all that, then yes, Oscar Romero was also big for me.
what is your opinion on that? It's often it's often talk about that uh, religious. I'm repeating your question. Religious vocations are quote higher than non-religious vocations. So, yeah. So in the 20, early 20th century, there was this big movement, and you kind of find uh, hints at it in uh, the devout life introduction to the devout life. Who wrote that? Francis de Sales. So introduction to the devout life. He talks in there. I don't remember. Do you know when that was? Century. Sorry. Uh, there's there's hints and there's seeds in there of him talking about how we are all called to live our own vocation that is unique to us. And so if you're an architect or whoever, it's like that's part of your vocation of living out your vocation like that. So there's kind of traces in there. But then come the 20th century, early 20th century, there start to be global movements of this where they're global lay-led movements. And this is a fairly new phenomenon in the church at large. And then Vatican II hits in the, in the mid-20th century, and Vatican II was a huge council where all the bishops of the world came together to talk about stuff, to talk about the world, to talk about church. And they met for years, like they met on a regular basis for years uh, in order to move forward. And every, every few centuries they have one of these meetings, and so they had one in the 20th century. And one of those, uh, part of that meeting was a lot of stuff, and one of that came, all right, well, how do we, like, create a more lay-led church? And it was a seemingly a de-emphasis on the churches for priests and religious, and an emphasis on church is for priests, religious, lay, everybody. And so there was kind of a dynamic shift, if you, if you will, of instead of like a pyramid where you have priests and religious up top and religious below them, right? and then lay below them. Instead of that, uh, I would say that it's more so circular, where you have Christ in the middle, and then you have individuals around uh, the, the middle circle, and then the individuals around that larger circle. Uh, it's a different dynamic shift. And so, to go back to your question about is religious life a higher calling, I think there are, I think there are saints who have said this. I think there are saints over the centuries who have said this, and in one sense, it can make sense because, all right, well, if, if a priest or the religious are the only ones who are engaging the religious life, like the Christian life, well, then that makes sense. Uh, then you're just comparing it to a non-Christian life, right? But now we have a very uh, positive movement in the past hundred years of lay-led ministry, lay-led leadership, and I think we're getting better at that. And... Um, talking about spirituality and prayer in terms of equipping people to be able to do this on their own. Um, if you look at the history of the saints, most of them are priests and religious, right? If you look at the history of the saints over the years, and so there's kind of a, there's a change in it. It doesn't mean that it's a higher calling. It kind of, it, it means more so that, um, that we've been very focused on priests and religious for the past 2,000 years. In the past 100 years, there's been an explosion of focus uh, that I think is a very good thing. And I think that our church has recognized it as a very good thing. That's why Vatican II, when they kind of opened the doors to a lot of stuff of, well, let's get lay leadership in, uh, in our liturgies. Let's get lay leadership in our churches, et cetera. We used to have, all of our Catholic schools used to be only lay 
used to be only priests and religious teaching. And so now you have uh, lay leaders. I mean, just everything has kind of changed in that regard. Um, but I would disagree with the calling, uh, calling it a higher vocation. I think it's, I think that I, res I chose priesthood vocation because it was, uh, it threw me into the depths of the Christian life. And so that's, that's probably more accurate of, it's a very religious life. Uh, not necessarily a higher calling, but you're going to continue to do the religious life, which will do the work on you, which will transform you. Um, and so that's, that's probably my unorganized answer to that. I agree with Father that, um, that I don't agree there's a higher calling in that sense. Um, because each vocation is precious because God given it to you, you know, and you live it, and that's the best vocation for you and, and for the world. Um, perhaps maybe because structurally, I will say, our life is structurally, there's time embedded for prayer, you know, that I have, that I, if I compare myself with my sister, then her way to holiness is taking care of her, her twin boys, right? And so in her vocation, there's many ways that she live out that vocation. Not that it's any different value one way or another. I absolutely agree. There's so much beauty in marriage life. Um, so perhaps that's the reason why that statement came about, right? Um, our commitment is um, to, to God and in serving the people. But then there's so many lay people who commit to their family and yet serve the church in so many ways. And so like Father say, after Vatican II, um, lay vocation became um, uh, help and encourage and so lived out beautifully. Yeah, it's almost as if there's been a development of the church's self-understanding where we have, we, get, we have gotten to a place where the majority of our church uh, is lay and then all of a sudden uh, we realize that, well, okay, well, the church isn't just the, the ordained or the professed or the vowed, but it's everybody. And so our self-understanding has, has developed in that way. And so we're... Yeah, we're living in that reality. But there's also, like I said, there's a lot of saints who have said some various different stuff over the years. But it comes from a different context, and so you kind of have to interpret it in, in the specific context where they didn't have that self-understanding at that point. What's the hardest part about our vocation and the th part that we love most about our vocation? I'll let Sister go first. I guess for me, um, it's probably the same thing. <laughs> so let me explain. Um, being, when I share with you how I just love the way Jesus leave one town, go to the next, right? Available to go anywhere, to be sent. And that gives me a lot of joy. 
I find that because when I go to a different country, to a different city, I and start. A, I recently moved down from Philadelphia to um, to Athens here, and I just love it. Meet all of you and be a work in, at Oasis. Meet and serve all these people. So for that, I really, really do love. The hardest thing is also that, is then I just left Philadelphia. I cried my eyes out when I left the retreat house. Um, and so, um, in a way, you, you build relationship, right? And so to say goodbye, it's not forever, but you're saying goodbye for now and, and move to another place. So for that was hard. Yeah, I don't know what the hardest thing is. There's a lot of things that are hard, uh, but there's not something specific that's that's very difficult. Um, my, uh, I talked about uh, loneliness recently to somebody, and I made a distinction between aloneness and loneliness. So aloneness being, I live a very weird life, and not everyone lives this, right? And that's kind of an aloneness. And a, lo and a loneliness is, I live a very weird life and nobody lives this and I feel lonely. Right? There's a distinction there. And I live a life, personally, that, is, uh, that has an aloneness where it's very radical, it's very strange. It's strange to my own self, it's strange to my family. Um, I kind of found myself in it, loving it, but it's still weird. And, but, I but I'm never lonely. Uh, I, never, I never have... I don't feel lonely. Uh, there's a lot of people who I've been doing life with that I've met along over the years that I keep in touch with, connect with on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, and I'm always surrounded by people. I'm probably, in a sense, the, in an opposite situation where uh, I'm usually overwhelmed with people, uh, which is not a, not a loneliness, it's kind of the opposite, which is overwhelming, overwhelmedness. Um, but well, that's a good problem to have. But I think that that's, that's probably, um, that's not a hard thing. That's not the most hard thing, but it's a hard thing. Um, like a, the strangeness of the life is something that's perplexing to me, myself. The strangeness of the life is something that's perplexing to me. It's something that's perplexing to everyone that I encounter. The person at the grocery store, the person at the gym, the person at the movie theater, the person at the liquor store. Everyone that I encounter is like, this is, I'm just a weird person in a, in like, it's, it's strange. And so that's, could be a very, that's a difficult thing, I think. Um, yeah, but it's not the hardest thing. It's just a very consistent, uh, strange thing is being a weird person in the world, right? Uh, the, the best thing I would say is to be able to be with people in the depths of life. Uh, that's that's kind of a, a given. It's I, I don't I've never um, I've only yeah it's it's one of the things where I meet with people or I talk with people or um, I get to know people and then we kind of plummet into the depths of life whether that's the joys or the sufferings or the complexities um, and being able to sit with them in the, in that. There's the, the passage in the book of Exodus where Moses call, God calls Moses to approach the burning bush. And the, there's this bush that's burning that's not being consumed. They're in the desert. And this, 
God calls Moses, says, Moses, come closer to this burning bush. Moses steps closer, and Moses then hears God say, Moses, take your shoes off because you're on holy ground. And Moses takes his shoes off because he's on holy ground. The divine presence is there. And that's a really good image for uh, these interactions or my own ministry with people is that I feel like I'm on holy ground. The divine presence is there. Uh, I'm not sure what to do with it or what to make of it or how it's happening. Why is the bush not consumed? Uh, what, what do I do with this? Uh, when it comes to people, it's like, how do people, how, how are they going to get out of this situation? How are they going to recover from this? Uh, what are the implications of this? How can I help them? Um, but also the joys of that, of being able to see people reach uh, new heights in their own life and new depths in their own life, new overcoming struggles and, and having this healing and this freedom available um, and just watching people grow and and experience the grace of Christ, uh, that's also placing myself in front of uh, something that's very holy. Uh, so that's the best part of my life. John Paul II has a phrase called Duke in, Duke in Altum, uh, cast out into the deep, cast out into the depths. That's what Jesus calls uh, Peter and the disciples to do. Uh, go out into the lake, cast out into the depths, and then Jesus appears to them out there. Uh, but it's also a good analogy for my own life of casting out into the deep, of, of plummeting, plunging myself into the depths of life, the depths of suffering, uh, but also the depths of just people's life in general. That's probably the best thing. I, I, it's, a very, it's a very holy thing, placing yourself in front of this very sacred reality uh, throughout the day. Yeah. And the hardest part is being a weird person. How did our families and friends react to our decision to go into our vocations? My family is very supportive, very supportive, uh, very helpful, uh, continuing to be supportive. Uh, I know that's not the case with everybody. Uh, I know that there's some families out there who are either against their decision or for their decision or whatever, uh, but my family is very supportive. Friends as well, uh, I think that um, some friends have said to me, glad you're doing it and not me. I said, thanks. <laughs> and they continue to walk with me and they continue to do life with me. Uh, but um, but I've, I've received in general a lot of support, uh, which I'm very thankful for. Uh, but and, it, and it's necessary. It's a necessary thing to have a, a kind of support that you can lean on uh, that you can go to, that you can uh, relax with, uh, that you can cry with, that you can process with. Uh, it's very helpful. And, and if, if someone's discerning a vocation, like I said, it's a very strange life, and so you need that. And so if you're not getting it from family, uh, at some point you either will get it or you'll have to uh, kind of create it uh, with the resources, the people around you. Uh, because it is necessary. Uh, it is, it's the same thing with uh, if you're trying to live a, 
we're saying all this in terms of a religious life and priesthood, but also Christian marriage as well. Uh, if you're trying to live a Christian Catholic marriage, it's a very specific thing. It's engaging the church life within a marriage in the world. Uh, whenever you become, whenever you do the sacrament of marriage, you don't just do the sacrament of marriage, you become a sacrament in the world. And so you become something that other people encounter. Uh, and so like that kind of life also needs support and a group of people and people that you can uh, lean on and process with and grow with. Uh, unfortunately, I do have that. Family's part of that, friends are part of that. I have a lot of colleagues as well. I guess for me, um, when I was discerning, I didn't want my family to, to have an influence, either positive or negative, on my uh, discernment. So I actually did not tell them, okay, um, that I'm thinking about religious life or praying about it. So the day where I kind of had come to a decision, um, I broke the news to the family. Uh, well, I have a big family, I'm one of nine, and so of course the two parents. So at this dinner table, my mom and dad, the sister that um, I talked about before, her husband and my niece, right, were in the same house. So I said, mom and dad, I'm gonna be a sister. And silent. <laughs> my dad slowly got up from the dinner table, moved over to the couch, not a word. My mom started to cry. My sister started to cry. Then my brother-in-law looked at me and said, look what you did. <laughs> Um, so the reaction, the first reaction is that. Um, then my mom shared with me and said, I will never get to see you again. You know, that was her fear as a mother. Um, maybe a day later when I spoke to my dad, I said, Dad, you are the vice president of the club that pray for religious priesthood vocation. Why are you <laughs> not happy? He's like, well, I pray for my neighbor's kid, but not <laughs> so. So to answer your question, the initial was a shock to my parents um, in that way. Um, some of my siblings sort of were saying, I kind of knew you would do it. And other would say to me, I can still set you up, don't worry. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so the reaction varied to be honest with you. Um, but they, they all supported my decision, okay? Um, so that's the good part. And then a few years later when they went out to, to meet the sisters or, uh, and to witness my first vows, then they saw how happy I was and then they understood why I chose it. So to say, even my parents took a little bit to to understand, not that they would, you know, not support me, but it was hard for, harder for them to understand, so it took a little bit. But in the end, your parents or your families will always support what makes you most happy and whatever God wished uh, for you, dream for you. You got any more questions? What is my... Uh, most weird encounter with another individual. 
in regards to my priesthood, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, I, I, there's, there's always funny, there, a lot of people don't know a lot about Catholicism here in the South, and so I'll say something to somebody, like that was, that happened not too long ago, where uh, I was getting a haircut by somebody here, and I, you know, they said, hey, so what do you do? And it's like, immediately you just kind of like, you just, you don't know where this conversation is about to go, right? <laughs> and I said, well, I'm, I'm a Catholic priest, I'm working here at the Catholic Center at UGA, blah, blah, blah. He said, oh, okay. So do you have kids? I'm like, no. Like, oh, okay. And like, and, and that, the conversation just kind of uh, hinged around this kind of weird, like, we, she doesn't understand anything that I do, and that's fine. Um, I'm not about to just kind of unload on her everything that I do. She's not really asking for that. But um, it's usually a lot of, it's, a, it's usually a lot of strange encounters where it's just kind of head tilting. Um, but I don't know, they're usually good. And usually somebody has conversations, like y'all are familiar with Franciscans. And so I went to a gym uh, across town at some point and I told him, you know, Catholic priest. They said, oh, cool, we're going to call you Friar. And I'm like, not a Friar, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> so they just started calling me Friar, or whatever. Like, that doesn't, that doesn't mean much to me, but, um, but they appreciated it, right? And so it's a lot, it's a lot of uh, strange, funny encounters like that. Usually, hostile, it's usually not hostile. It's usually just folks who are just kind of unaware um, not informed. Um, most people won't say anything uh, hostile to me in general. I'm a big guy too. And so whenever they find out that I'm a priest, they usually just kind of make a strange remark. Yeah. I guess to answer your question is similar to that. Like moments when people don't know what to do with us. Or, um, so same thing, I will say I'm a sister. Um, here in the South, I have to say I'm a Catholic nun, which is truly not, right? Uh, by a slight different, but, uh, but that's the way people will understand. So if I say sisters, then they will say, how many kids? They just say, about 80. <laughs> um, or the opposite. I remember one time I walk into um, a restaurant, a, a fast food stand, I guess, and I was walking with my niece, and this lady said, what I heard was, your sisters, like me and my niece. So I said, no, 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 uh, she's my niece. And she said, no, you are a sister. I'm like, okay, yes, I am a sister. Like they would identify, and, and yeah, how they do it, I don't know either. I was on a flight one time, the flight attendant say, you are a sister, um, and I say, Yes, I am. Okay. So, uh, one last thing, we'll wrap it up. Uh, sister, how long have you, uh, how long ago did you take your vows? Um, my final vows I took in 2016. That's final profession. Definitive, can't go back. <laughs> um, yeah, so I mentioned my first vows was uh, 2009. Very nice. Uh, yeah, I, we do, as priests, we do two sets of 
vows, or we call them promises. Uh, one at our, when we're ordained a deacon, another one when we're ordained a priest. And they're the same things, but we just do them again, I guess. Probably similar to what you do. No, I, I don't know. But, uh, but uh, mine, yeah, mine was 2016 as well. That was, uh, I was ordained a deacon at that year. And then 2018, I was ordained a priest. Yeah, just to clarify, the vows, the three vows, right? Poverty, chastity, and obedience. So the verse, uh, the difference is the time, duration of the vow. So when I first made it, it was for three years. And then I repeat, renewal that vows for another three years. Um, uh, yeah, and I do a two renewals before I make the final vows. And I was kidding with Father, definitively meaning forever now, not a, a limit on years. Yeah, and I don't take vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. Uh, I take two vows of celibacy and obedience. So those are the only two. And then we uh, and then we kind of make some other promises. There's like the fine print in the thing where we also we also will live a simple life. We'll also live all these things. But the two main ones are, are uh, celibacy and uh, obedience. And actually it's respect and obedience. So that has me not gossiping about church authority because I've actually taken a vow to not just obey them but to respect them. Uh, which is cool, trying to live into that as everyone else in the world is talking about bishops and popes and so forth. Yeah, I'm just, <laughs> I've actually vowed to respect those guys. <laughs> I think that's I think that's everything. Um, yeah, thank y'all.